Hey, we just finished an episode with James Lowry from Rethink the Rat Race, and what a great episode this was. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Like, especially when he spoke about how it only took him three years to reach financial independence. And um, I think that's awesome because in three years, he was able to completely shift his life. And now he can do what he loves, such as fitness things like running his first Ironman. Yeah, like it's so cool. Like, the, like him and his wife are able to travel Europe and travel the U.S. while still managing all their properties here in the U.S. And like, and their short-term rentals and their long-term rentals, like that's goals right there as a couple. Like, I think that's so cool that they achieved that. Like, what are some key takeaways that you took from this episode, Phil? I think the main key takeaway is that um, number one, in three years they're able to reach financial independence, so it's possible to get there really quickly. But at the same time, not every investment was a perfect one. He uh, mentioned that one of his first properties that he was hardly cash flowing from, or if he was, and there was an issue at the property and he had to pay out of pocket for it, then he would pretty much be in the negative. And so that is really good to hear because that takes a lot of pressure off of the invest anyone who's investing in that you don't have to be perfect at everything you do. That as long as you're investing consistently um, for the long term, that's that's a, that's a key thing that um, everything will work out. Yeah, for sure. And like, and one thing that I took away from this episode is that like he he him and his wife has set up a systems in which that he can do everything remotely. So he's managing all of his properties remotely. And he has people that are helping him in locally and hit where his properties are. And that allows him to minimize his headaches. And like, he doesn't have to be there every, like, uh, to, to deal with all the, the problems that arise. Like he has his systems in place. And he also, like one thing that he said is that he himself has, he has a stress-free mentality, but he doesn't see every problem as like a horrible thing. He sees it as a, a, a problem to solve. And with that kind of mentality, it helps you think long-term and help you, helps you be able to scale because you don't see like too many negatives in in managing all these things like i think it's a really great mentality to have i think it's a it's it's managing your own expectations like you know when you have any type of business or anything you do problems are going to come up so if you already prepare your mind thinking like okay something's going to happen something negative so how am i going to deal with it am i going to cry about it or am i going to just uh confront it head on and and deal with the problem and move on to the next one there's always going to be problems so if you just meet or have those expectations set in your mind that problems are going to come up, then you shouldn't be surprised. And so I think that's a really important thing to, to keep in mind, even just in life, not just in investing in anything in life. All right, we're not going to hold you guys any longer. This is James from Rethink the Rat Race. It was a great episode. Make sure you like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the show. Investor Podcast. My name is Paulino Marquez, and I'm joined here with my co-host Philip Costa. Uh, we're super excited to uh, today. We're in, today we're interviewing James from Rethink the Rat Race and dig into his amazing story about how he reached him and his wife reached financial independence in their 20s. Thanks for coming on, James. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, why don't you give a little bit of background about yourself and bring us to speed uh, with where you are now and uh, what you guys are doing. Okay. Yeah. So uh, right now we're actually, um, I am working on a property that we're renovating, turning into a short-term rental. My wife is actually at the beach. She spent like the last month traveling, going and doing stuff. And uh, um, 
some of it's been for fun, some of it's been for family, stuff like that. But that's where we currently are. So we uh, next week will actually be um, my third year anniversary of not having a job. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And so um, I guess uh, wrapping it, going back a little bit uh, from there, uh, where do you first find out about financial independence? Because for a lot of people, that's not something that's talked about uh, too much when you're growing up. And it's really something that you discover. So can you just elaborate a little bit on how you found it? Yeah, absolutely. So I will say that um, when I was growing up, so we grew up very poor. Um, my parents are deaf, which means I'm a coda. So my first language is sign language. And so um, I have a very similar uh, mindset as like a lot of first generation immigrants who are having to translate for their parents and things like that. And so um, to me, in my mind, I thought growing up, like I would hear about like 401k or IRA. And I thought that I didn't have access to this information because my parents were deaf. And I thought that this was something that families talked about, but it wasn't. And so, uh, so I was naturally curious about that kind of stuff to begin with, because I thought that it was something that I should know about and no one was talking about, but it turns out nobody was ever talking about it. No other families were talking about it either. So yeah, I wasn't really behind, but I felt like I was. So I found out about financial independence. I was actually working at a physical therapy clinic and there was a patient there who had said, I overheard her talking to her therapist and she said, if me and my husband had found this website just a few years ago, we would probably be retired now. And so that really piqued my interest. And uh, it turns out that that website was Mr. Money Mustache. And so I just dove like headfirst into that, like got really into financial independence and cutting spending and like probably on the extreme frugal side of it uh, for a little while and then just took all the extra money and invested it. Yeah. So you, you were just saying that you were you were really frugal, like really obsessed with it. Like what are some things that you did that would, would make you think that you were being frugal? Okay, so... There are quite a few things. One, that day, my wife came home and I had already cut the hot water heater down to where it wasn't heating up as much hot water. <laughs> I had changed the air conditioner uh, to where it wasn't cooling quite as much. This is day one, right? And from there, I went and bought a bike on Craigslist and started biking to work. And uh, this, is, this one's a, a funny little tangent. So we bought one of the Volkswagen uh TDIs that was recalled, but we bought it before it was recalled. It was after they had already announced that like there was an issue with it. So it was like a big risk of like, what are you going to do? And so I bought it when the prices went really low. <laughs> yeah. So we bought it for nine grand. And then I biked to work more because of that, because when we sold it back to Volkswagen, they would subtract how many miles were on it. And so the less I drove it, the more I got paid by Volkswagen. And so we ended up selling it back to Volkswagen for like 23 grand. Wow. That's crazy. That's extreme. Yeah. That's that's extreme. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, like that. That set you up to start like building good habits and 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 good spending habits. Like, when did you like start seeing momentum with the uh, with that kind of like habit building with being frugal? Pretty early on, um, one of the biggest things was we decided like obviously like you know changing the air conditioner wasn't really moving the needle a whole lot, and so um, we ended up moving out of a condo. And once I got my wife on board, really is when like both of us like were really like our goals were aligned on what we wanted to do and like our futures. And so we ended up moving from a, a fancy condo in a nice part of town to one like 
just as far from work, but just on the other side. And it just wasn't as nice. It's not like run down or anything. It's just not as nice. And it was less than a third of the price. Oh, wow. So um, going back to how you got your spouse on board, uh, we know that's a big challenge for many couples. Or There's this one visionary person who really wants to cut costs by 50% and they're talking about quitting their job in three years. It just seems crazy, right? So um, how are you able to get your, your wife or significant other on board at that time? Yeah. So at first I did not do it the way that I should. I will preface it by that. Like mm-hmm. I'll say, you know, she came home and I just like bombarded her with all this information. Cause I'm really like gung ho about things. And, um, and so I took a step back and started living by example. So I started biking to work. I was bringing my lunch to work and we had cars. We had three cars, I think at the time. And so I'm biking to work for pretty much no good reason. And uh, in the afternoons, we would go on walks and essentially like she wasn't very happy at her job. And that was really the big thing was I said, you know, if, if you get on board, like you can quit your job in five years and it ended up being three. So. Yeah, it's finding that motiva- motivation factor, right? When someone uh, either at work or something, you know, happens within their family, you know, and, and you don't have the money to to, to help out. Um, it's usually like those harsh situations that make people realize, hey, I need to take a big step or a different a different path. Um, and yeah, so just talking a little bit more about uh, financial independence, um, I'd like to talk about um, how you reached it. Uh, what were the steps you took um, each year to, to reach that goal? Because you said you did it in three years, right? That's pretty, right. That's, that's insane. So yeah. could you just explain to us how you did that from year one to year three? Yeah. So like I'd mentioned, we moved from one condo to another condo and we had bought that one with the sole purpose of living in it for a year and then moving out of it and renting it out. And so like the original kind of house hack. And from there, we, I mean, we cut spending every way that we could, honestly, like we, we sold the the Volkswagen and bought like a really shitty car. Um, and we drove the shitty cars forever and then like quit going out to eat as much, but we were still traveling. We were doing like travel hacking and stuff to try to minimize the spending on that. But, um, the big things, you know, travel or sorry, um, housing, transportation and food, like we had cut those to the bone and we ended up buying a mother-in-law or sorry, a house with a mother-in-law apartment off of it. We lived in the mother-in-law and rented out the house. And so at that point we were living for free and all of the extra money could go towards uh, investing and particularly in real estate. We were maxing out our IRA and 401k, but every dollar after that pretty much went into real estate uh, because we were really focused on that. It feels like you have so much more control. I can I can renovate a kitchen and I can, you know, change a bathroom and I can paint the whole place and I can do all these things. I can't control what Elon Musk tweets or, you know, who hits their earning goals or who doesn't. And so it, it feels like there's more control available. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's like, that's kind of a reason why a lot of people that build wealth go into real estate and like, and try, and people are uh, very scared of the stock market. Something that I'm starting to learn now, especially through this podcast, speaking to people like you, is that like, Real estate is something that really holds ground throughout time. And like it, it, you, you have control over this asset. And as long as you maintain it and it has positive cash flow, that it's, that it's a really good investment. And so that, like, that leads up to my question is that like, how did you exactly did you finance that first property? And how did you start building your portfolio after that? So yeah. like you said that you, you were essentially house hacking with that, first, that, with that condo that you were talking about with the mother-in-law. How did you start building the rest of your portfolio? So I will say, I know that uh, real, uh, real estate gets like sung up a lot, but 
your uh, your index fund will never call you and tell you that you know they're not going to be late on rent that month or something like that. But that's a good point. Um, yeah, but that's a good point. How I financed. So we actually did it all like through our personal incomes and all the properties are in our personal names. And so after the first one, we actually talked with a mortgage broker uh, and told her specifically like we're looking to get 10 properties in 10 years, right? Or less, uh, 10 properties in five years. And so at that point, she knew that she had to be strategic with putting some of the properties in my name, some of the properties in my wife's name, so that each of our incomes were qualifying for them. We're both on the deeds, but once you get into more than five or more than 10, really, uh, the this criteria becomes a lot more strict on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Yeah. So like you, like, so let me like, let me dive into that a little bit. So you were, you went to the mortgage broker and you spoke to her about a plan that you were trying to accomplish. Like you told her that you were, Hey, listen, I want to have 10 homes in five years. I want to be financially independent. How do I get there? Exactly. And so she became, she, she like, what you do is you rope someone into your goal. Right. And so now we and her are aligned. And so she's interested in getting us the best rates. She's interested in getting us fast closings. And because I'm working with one lender, they actually have all of our information, right? And so because we bought so many properties within like a year or two, uh, at one point we had three closings in a month. And so (laughs) because of that, she had all of our information and it made it so much easier. And by letting her know what our goal was, there was no question of like, how many are they going to get? She knew what we were trying to do. And she became part of our team on that and helped us get there. Okay, that's awesome. And so year one, uh, where are you at at this point? End of year one on your journey? So yeah, we're pretty much like almost at ground zero. We're, we're a little above ground zero because we, we floated two condos for a little bit. And so we moved into one and then tried to sell the other one. And we're just trying to get out from under it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one we actually sold and broke completely even, like not made our money back. Like we sold it, walked out of the walked out of the closing office without any money, without having to pay any money, right? So we just like broke completely even on what we owed at that point, not what we paid in. Okay, great. And so uh, leading up to year two, by the end of that year, where were you guys portfolio-wise? So at that point, I think we had three properties and we had bought a duplex. Um, So we were actually in St. Louis for a work assignment, but bought the duplex in Alabama where we are. So it it was kind of a remote buy, but it was also a local property, if that makes any sense. Uh, so we bought it and interviewed property managers and did everything remotely. But we had seen the property before we went up to St. Louis, so we actually got to see the property. Okay, at that point, um, how much were you cash flowing about each month? Uh, so that property was pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> it was a duplex that we bought for forty-seven grand. And uh, one tenant was paying three twenty five, and the other one was paying four hundred. And so I think that like if, if any maintenance issue came up, luckily they really didn't. But if any maintenance issue came up, we were in the red, not in the black. And so, um, so I think we were cash flowing probably two or three hundred a month on that property. Okay. And so, and year three. So, what was the pivotal moment which got you to your fine number? So yeah, we ended up buying the uh, the house hack with the mother-in-law. So we had found a house. It was a three bed, one bath house with a mother-in-law apartment off the back. And we put an offer in on it just to buy it as it is um, and to buy it as an investment property with 20% down. While we were waiting on the closing for that to happen, uh, two duplexes popped up 
that the owner was selling both of them at the same time and they had to be sold together. And so we ended up making an offer in on those and they were 50 a piece. So that was a hundred grand. But at that time we didn't have enough cash on hand to pay 20% down for three properties. So we ended up changing our uh, strategy, moving into the mother-in-law so that we could qualify for uh, owner-occupant financing and then bought the two duplexes. And, uh, and so those two duplexes, that's when we bought six units in, uh, in one month, that was three closings. And that really kind of put us over the edge. And those properties were, weren't cash flowing at first, but you know, a little bit of sweat equity and as tenants would turn over, you know, we renovate the properties and now they're like cash cows. It's crazy. Wow. And, and like those, those properties that you bought off that one owner that was selling, like what kind of work were you guys doing? Were you guys doing the actual manual work yourself? Were you guys hiring contractors? Like what is something that you did? To get a that little work? bit of both. Yeah. So, um, one of the units at the time we didn't really have a whole lot of money. And again, I'm into the Mr. May mustache. So I'm like, I'm going to do it all myself. I'm going to save every penny. And honestly, some of it was a waste of time and some of it I could have hired out and it would have saved me so much more effort time. And I probably would have made more money because I could have gotten rented earlier. So one of the units sat vacant, uh, an entire duplex sat vacant for like six months while I worked on it. And so I literally gutted a bathroom and redid a bathroom, um, like tried to shore up some flooring and, you know, redid some cabinets and it was stuff like that, but mostly it was paint, a lot of lipstick. Okay, cool. And then, um, so at this point you have six units, right? Yeah. So we bought six in one month. So at that point, that put us at nine units, I think. Nine. Okay, yeah. great. And so at that point, you were able to reach fi uh, financial independence, or were there still more to come? There were more to come, but we had reached our number realistically with that. Okay, awesome. So I wanted to dig into, I know you also, you so you have the long-term rentals, and then you also have short-term rentals. So um, I also own short-term rental, and... Um, we know how great of a cash flowing uh, asset that is. Um, so I wanted to dig into your portfolio that you have for short term rentals. And so if you could just describe uh, how many you have location and what is um, your niche or what makes you stand out in that market? So, yeah, so most of our properties we actually already owned and then we converted them into short term rentals after like a tenant had decided to move out. So, for instance, the first one we were getting ready, like we had already turned in our notice, we had quit our jobs, we were getting ready to move to Europe and uh, and we had a tenant, a long term tenant that had turned in their notice. And we said, well, okay, this is kind of the perfect opportunity for us to turn it into an Airbnb. That way, whenever we come into town, we can stay in our own place. And so that was the first condo that we had actually bought. Um, we turned that into short-term rental and Airbnb'd it for a year. And then uh, COVID happened. And so we came mm -hmm. back and, uh, and then converted another unit into an Airbnb while we lived in it. And, uh, and so now I'm actually in one of those duplexes that I was talking about earlier. And so I'm on, this will be the, our fourth Airbnb uh, or, or short-term rental. And so our niche is really one bed, one bath, small places. Um, it's like one, that's what we already owned. And so that makes it a very easy niche. And we have a lot of business travelers, but one of our properties is actually really close to a concert venue. And so we get a lot of concert goers over the weekends and stuff like that. Very cool. And like, and like when uh, you said that you moved out to Europe is like, how exactly like and then you came back after COVID. How are you managing these properties? Like, so you, you, you and your wife had to have decided like, hey, we're going to do this from afar. We need people there looking after it physically when we, when we get calls from tenants or from guests from the short term rental. Like, how'd you guys do that from afar? 
So the first short-term rental, we actually didn't manage from afar. We had a co-host for that one. And honestly, I regret that entire experience. Uh, the co-host just didn't care about the place as much as we did. And, um, and so our, our quality suffered. We got a few negative reviews from it. And when we came back, we kind of realized that our co-host actually wasn't going to the property ever. It was really just the cleaner. And we were like, well, if she's doing it remotely, we can do it remotely. And so we had been managing all our long-term rentals remotely while we were in Europe. And uh, and actually, the remote management is actually my favorite part of it. Like, I get to tweak all these little systems and see what, if I, if I do this over here, how does this affect this? And the less... I have to interact with people, obviously, the better. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll snowbird. We'll go to Mexico for winter. We'll go to Florida for winter. We'll go to Europe for a couple of months. And, uh, and we can manage all of them ourselves remotely. Awesome. And so, like, I, I like this because uh, now we have a little bit of a case study because you had a long-term rental that you converted to a short-term rental. So could you uh, give us a comparison of the cash flow difference between the two? I've got an even better scenario. So... <laughs> Uh, I do have a few of those that I've converted long-term rentals into short-term rentals, but I have one that's a duplex, right? And so one side was a long-term rental and the other side is a short-term rental. And so it's the exact same layout, the exact same location, everything about it's the exact same. And even the expenses are the same. I'm splitting the you know uh, mortgage between the two. And so the short-term rental cash flows like profits more than 3x what the long-term rental. Like it's, it's actually right at 4x wow yeah and we hear all the time that yeah although it's uh it cash flows a lot it also takes a lot of management to do it do you think it's worth three or 4x to uh to manage it and have that that burden on you i think once you get the systems in place like i've added another one and to me it's added not even 10 minutes a week of actual yeah. effort and so once the systems are in place i could i could manage honestly i've got four now um, I could manage 20 and it wouldn't take that much time. Yeah. And that's, wow. that's where I'm trying to get at. You know, a lot of people think it's a lot of work. It might be a lot of work for that first one, but to tack on two, three, four, five, it's not exponentially more work. If exactly. You do have those Especially if you're not cleaning it and doing those things. Like if you're the person that feels like you have to run over and do something, just for instance, we were in Colorado a couple of weeks ago for like a month almost. And while we were there, so, um, one of the guests said that, you know, they were running out of this or this or this. I can't remember exactly what it was. And so instead of just paying the cleaner to come over and drop something off, we ended up doing a Walmart delivery. And so, like, it was as simple as that. They got the stuff delivered right to their door. We didn't have to go do anything. And it cost almost exactly what it would have cost for us to go pick it up. But we were, you know, six states away. Wow, that's so cool, man. Like, and, and like, so, like, it seems like, you guys have your systems down then because like you guys have your processes from afar. You guys can manage like not spend as much time a week as you felt like you needed to or what people think they do. Like what is what is a, a one of the a challenge that you could face with the short term rentals? Like what's something that like is like is actually harder than you thought? Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's anything that's harder than I thought because <laughs> really? it's actually been incredibly easy. Um, to me, it's been easy. My wife, like, and it's also a stress level thing. I am not a stressful person. Like, you know, there are just problems to be solved. And if something happens, it just happens. And, you know, you, you fix what you can. And so there are some people that would lie awake at night wondering, you know, what's happening and with their place or, you know, like, like I've got a guest that I messaged, you know, a, a few days ago asking them how their stay is going and they haven't responded. There are some people that would drive by and I'm like, I don't, I don't care at all. Uh, you know, the property will be fine. 
I'm trying to think of something specifically that I've had an issue with because I'm sure that there has been something. Um, but yeah, for sure. Like we also get that, you know, sometimes you have guests that want to be super talkative. So you want to embrace that, right? Because building that rapport with them will eventually get you those five stars. But then there's some other ones that are just bare bones, just one word responses. And you're like, okay, we'll just leave them alone. Let them just hang out and chill. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to uh, move on and, and talk a little bit about your future. So now that you reached financial independence, what is a driving motivator that you have? Like what is what are the next steps that you guys have in, in your future? Yes, yeah, so we're still trying to figure out where we want to be. Right now, we're really just enjoying the financial independence part of it at, at the beginning, and that's constantly changing too. At the beginning, we thought that we were going to be traveling around in Europe for, you know, not forever necessarily, but at least for the foreseeable future. And then COVID happened, and we literally had to take an emergency flight out of Cyprus. Like, uh, they literally opened the airport for us. We had to schedule the flight to the U.S. Embassy. And so travel looked very different, like, the perpetual travel nomad person uh, wasn't as cool anymore if you had to get shut down somewhere. And so it's hard to say what exactly we're going to do. We're looking at places in Florida. We like to snowbird in Mexico. Um, we still like to travel to Europe. And so right now we don't have any kids in the foreseeable future. We're having fun doing like DIY projects around the house. And um, I'm constantly like starting businesses, <laughs> I guess, or like, uh, you know, always like there's always some idea formulating and always something going on and so uh so that's a lot of fun so like uh, have your habits changed at all like as far like i know you're traveling more that's obviously an expense that you guys see as something that's like very valuable and something that means a lot to you guys like what have, have your habits changed with like eating out like have have you been like living the same way as you did previously what like what what about financial independence like did anything change yeah so a lot's actually changed so since we converted a couple of our Airbnbs into, or sorry, uh, long-term rentals into Airbnbs. We've actually got so much more of a cushion as far as income. And, you know, the market's done really well. Like everybody was scared during COVID. And even with this drawback, it's still done pretty well. Yeah. And so we're actually, I worry so much less about money now than I did when I was pursuing financial independence. Like at the beginning, I will admit that was like a, it was a hard mindset shift for me to look at the numbers that we had and like checking everything on personal capital and like, you know, looking at all our accounts and stuff like that and being so used to seeing it grow with contributions. And then we quit our jobs and had no contributions. And so seeing it, it still grew, but just not at the same rate. That was tough. And, yeah. um, and actually COVID might've been a blessing in disguise because I was constantly posting like net worth updates and stuff like that. And then it felt like, kind of shitty honestly to post like net worth <laughs> updates like all these people are worried about like losing their jobs or all these landlords yeah. have tenants that aren't paying because they've lost their jobs and i'm over here like you know <laughs> everything's going great like we've made so much money and so i we i quit doing the net worth updates during covid and uh and actually that's helped me so much more like mentally too because i'm not like gaming the whole thing trying to like penny pinch every single thing like we live a very happy life. We do what we want to do. Our hobbies have definitely changed. We're a lot more active than we were. We were active before, but now we're doing like mountain biking. My wife just competed in her first triathlon last week. And uh, yeah, and, and we're doing like extreme things that you would never think. Like I biked up the coast of Florida from Key West to Georgia. 
Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and so like it's stuff like that, like that you have time to like do these adventures. And so it's, it's, it's definitely different than I thought it would be. And so I, that, that's so cool. Cause like, that's what I envision as well. Like doing crazy, crazy shit. Like after you reach financial <laughs> independence, things that you wanted to do, you just don't have time to do. Um, and I wanted to dig into that feeling that you had, um, when you guys found out that you reached financial independence, what was that moment? And how were you feeling? Were you happy? Were you a little bit weary about quitting your job? Like how, how did that, how was that experience? Yes. Yeah, so we were definitely happy, but also weary because, Another part of it was one, we didn't know what our expenses were going to be overseas, right? It's technically cheaper than it is here, but we were going to be traveling. We were going to be doing different things. And so it was hard for us to estimate exactly what our costs were going to be. The other side of it was we didn't have all these rentals rented out, like leading up to it. Um, you know, we, we had a couple of units that we rented out kind of toward the end. And then we bought another unit like a month before we were actually going. And so like there was a lot of unknowns with even income, like how consistent is it going to be? We didn't have all that income for even a year. And uh, so what we did was we took leave of absences. That was like the perfect way to like dip our toe in the water. Mm. So I took a, I only had a month at my job, but my wife had six months at her job. And so I took my month and, you know, we, we, we knew it, we would last a month at least. Right. But, uh, then my wife, you know, she took six months and this was like the perfect opportunity for us to see if it was working or not. And she actually called her boss, you know, um, on a flight while, like, while we were boarding a flight in Europe saying like, Hey, I'm not coming back. And then like a week later, the world shut down because of COVID. So we were, we were a little worried at that point. We were like, man, maybe we should have gone back. Especially we thought like all our tenants are not going to pay or anything like that. But I mean, knock on wood, we didn't have a single tenant even pay late. Everybody was really good. And I think part of that is due to our tenant selection process. Okay, awesome. And so let's dig into that. Um, what is the, how do you, how do you uh, screen te tenants to have such great tenants that uh, pay on time with no problem? So one, what we do is we post the property, right? And we, we also make sure that the properties are places that we would want to live in. At this point, we've lived in almost half of our units. Um, just kind of bouncing around between units while we're in town or not. And so that's the most important thing is like that we want the places to be on the up and up and we want to appeal to as many people as we can because the places are nice from there. We'll post the property. And so it depends on if the property's over a thousand dollars or under a thousand dollars. If it's under, it does better on Facebook marketplace. If it's over, it does better on Zillow. We'll still list mm -hmm. them on both, but that's just, uh, something that we've noticed in this area. And so what we'll do is we'll post the, the listing and then we'll get a ton of inquiries about it. And so the first step to the process is we'll tell the people, hey, thank you for inquiring. Here is our pre-screening questionnaire, right? And anybody that doesn't fill out the questionnaire doesn't get to come and see the property. And that alone eliminates like 90% of the people that inquire at least. And so wow. then they'll fill out the pre-application essentially and all it is is like a short form that says how much they make, where they work, stuff like that. Uh, it's not like that in depth, but that alone eliminates a lot of people. And then once they fill that out and we verify that the information is that they would be qualified based on the information they've provided, then we'll schedule a time for them to come and see the property. And so we'll schedule a morning. And so this is this is the fun part. This is what uh, we established while we were here. But while we were gone, we were still doing the same thing with the tenant selection. We just paid a friend half the first month's rent to show the property. And so we would schedule everybody to come within like, again, they're one bedroom places. So like within a 15 minute span, 
so you could have four showings in an hour. And so every person that comes up sees someone leaving and they see yep. someone coming behind them, right? And there's a little bit of salesmanship to that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But that alone has had so many people apply before they've left the property. Uh, so you don't get the people that are like, oh, let me let you know. Like, no, no, no. We get people that come that day and they pay the background and credit check. And then from there, we verify their information, their work. Um, you know, we look at their credit history and really we're not looking for a number specifically so much as we're looking for accounts and collections and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then from there, like while they're actually viewing the property, we explain to them like the, the process essentially, like we use apartments.com at, at one point it was cozy. And so yeah. they submit all maintenance requests on there and they're not to contact us directly. Um, and it, unless it's, uh, an emergency and we've had to start clarifying what an emergency is because some people will call you for nothing. So yeah. it's a fire flood or blood, right? Those are the three oh, wow. criteria. And so you can contact us directly for that. Otherwise it goes through apartments.com through a maintenance request. We collect rent through that. Everything goes through the online portal. And so there are tenants that I haven't seen in a couple of years. And you, and you guys have a like a property like you said you had a friend that was doing the showings. Do you guys have property managers like that like you found locally, like through the through the through those websites to to manage those, those tenants when they do have maintenance requests? No, so we do it all ourselves remotely. Oh, okay. And so um, you know it's as simple as having a uh, a handyman. Usually is like if most things get sent to the handyman, so they'll yeah. submit a maintenance request. It'll come through our email. And then from there, I can just forward it to the handyman and I actually put the onus on the uh, tenant to schedule them, right? Because I don't know their schedule. And then we play this game of tag where I yeah. say, oh, you know, they're available this day. No, 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 no. They schedule the handyman to come out. The handyman calls me, lets me know what it, the cost is, invoices me. And then I just send them over that. And uh, it's as easy as that. And and like that, the handyman, like... Are you like? Do you have a special deal with the handyman? This is. I'm just curious because, uh, like, I'm not really familiar with that process. I'm I'm in the lookout right now for my own investment property for the first time. That's the dynamic that me and Phil have. Is that he has already started his journey with a long term and a short term rental. I'm beginning my journey now. Uh, like, how do you pay your handyman? Yes. Yeah, so this guy particularly, we found him locally while we were in town, and this is something that you can go on Facebook, uh, like the real estate groups, or you ask other. Um, contractors who they suggest. Another thing that I really like is Reddit because everybody wants to show how much they know on Reddit. So you hop mm -hmm. on your local subreddit and ask for a handyman and some people will send that over to you. Wow. And so our guy, I mean, we don't have enough properties for him to just work for us, right? So he's yeah. just a local handyman. He's running around doing his thing. And, um, and we actually do try to, we pay on time and I actually send them a gift every year for Christmas. So it's like something small, you know, like a $50 gift card to Chick-fil-A or, you know, something like that. And so uh, that keeps them happy. That keeps them working for us. And uh, their pricing is fair. And so uh, what we did was we actually joined our local Choose FI group in the area. And we have a spreadsheet that they can add people to. And so there's like a hierarchy of people. So, you know, the third best plumber is the third person down. And, you know, if someone doesn't show up on time or if, you know, they do shoddy work, then they get moved down the list or taken off entirely. And so wow. it's actually a compilation from other people in the area. That's a valuable list. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like the, your stories and you and your wife's story has been so incredible. Uh, it's very inspiring to like our audience and us. Like I, I didn't know how deep like you were into this and like it was, it's, it's incredible to see. 
so yeah, so so now we're gonna go into like a little segment that we do every episode. Uh, it's uh, three questions. Uh, it's one personal, one professional, and one random. And uh, I'm gonna have Phil start right right here with the first question. Yeah. So the first for the personal one, it's um, what habit or trait you're are you working on currently to get better at? Um, I'm actually trying to stretch more, which sounds like <laughs> so silly, here. but here. I'm like completely inflexible this and I've decided, so I've decided I'm going to do an Ironman, uh, oh, early next year. Oh, wow. And so I'm starting to run, I'm starting to bike. I'm actually in the process of working on a sleeve tattoo. And so mm. I can't swim for like the next few months essentially, cause <laughs> oh, I'm going God. every few weeks. And so, uh, swimming is going to be the hardest part. But so because of that, I'm trying to establish a cardio routine and stretching every day. What's like? What's the reason why like you like care so much about fitness? Like like we also care about fitness a lot. Like we are, we are both like soccer players and like we're retired now. I guess you could say. Yeah. So like we we're just trying to like maintain fitness and like keep it part of our lives. Like what what makes you want to keep doing it? Uh, I'm I'm super competitive. Like I've competed at jujitsu, uh, dodgeball, powerlifting, like physique shows, uh, pretty much anything really? that I've done, I've like tried to compete in. And so that's Same. a big part of it. But um, my my dad actually passed away when I was a kid, uh, when I was 12 from unmanaged diabetes. He was like super oh. overweight and then he was super underweight and he just like didn't take control of his health essentially. And so um, I've kind of run the gambit on that. He's on one side, but then on the other side, I have a great uncle that lived to 109. And mm. so it's like, I don't know where I'm going to fall on that spectrum, but I definitely want it to be Obviously, if I can, I don't want to necessarily be 109, but if I can be fit and healthy until I hit, you know, a certain age, mm -hmm. then that's the goal. And so really longevity is now like kind of coming into play. People don't value that enough, man. Like you, like you see it, like people, as they get older, they start to get rid of their, like, like the fitness and their, like for themselves. And like, it's so important for your mental space, physical space, quality of life. Like, uh, like that's really cool. Yeah. And I, so, um, sorry, I, I just wanted to like throw this tangent in. I also worked at a physical therapy clinic. And so I would see people coming in that couldn't do, you know, simple tasks. And so I felt like because I can do it, I should do it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why I was biking to work. That's why I was doing all these things. Because if I can physically do it, there are so many people out there that wish they could, they can't. And so I should be doing these things. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, so uh, uh, on to the next question. Uh, so this is a professional question. Is, uh, where do you see yourself professionally? Like, I don't, you don't have a job, but this, like, as far as, like, your your own projects and your own stuff uh, in the next five to ten years? Oof, that's tough. I don't know, honestly. Um, we're still looking at buying properties, like, and we bought a couple over the past couple of years, even though we've not, we've been jobless. Um, the, the financing looks different, so we're buying them with cash mostly. And so I foresee us having, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 properties and maybe, maybe living in Florida full time. I don't really know. I don't necessarily want to be there full time is the problem. Like it's really nice during the winter, but during the summer, I'd much rather go somewhere that's like better. Um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. And what, so what's the draw for you, uh, in going to Florida? So there's a town there. It's called Tarpon Springs. And Tarpon Springs is the Greek capital of the U.S. essentially, right? They have the most per capita Greeks. And so my wife is Cypriot, so we're trying to learn Greek. Her dad is Greek. Uh, her grandparents live over there. And so we just like really love Greece as part of it. And, uh, and so they have like street signs in Greek. All the restaurants there are in Greek. Like there are people there that don't speak English, uh, which is pretty crazy. 
And uh, so that is a big draw to us. It's also on the water. And so there's actually a bike path that goes from Tarpon Springs down to St. Pete Beach, which is like 50 miles. And so it's like a protected bike path the whole way. And so like everybody's outside, everybody's active. It's just like small town feel, but it's, there's a lot to do. Yeah, it's awesome. Like to maintain that culture that uh, that you've had in the past in your family generations. That's really cool. Um, and so the last question is a random one. It's a little quirky one. Um, it's uh, if you could be an animal, which animal would you be, and why? Mm, okay. <laughs> um, I would be a dolphin. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, one, I haven't explored underwater enough. I'm not a great <laughs> swimmer, right? So just conceptually like being able to swim and they always seem very playful. They're always like with their pack. And if they stick together, they don't really have a lot of predators, uh, mm -hmm. not natural predators at least. And so um, that's why I think I would be a dolphin. I, uh, I just think that like, I don't know the humor of it, like one <laughs> being able to explore underwater, like that would be super cool. You can like jump out of water once in a while as yeah, well, too. Exactly, exactly. And everybody <laughs> yeah. loves you, right? Like, no one's, like, scared to see a dolphin. Yeah, for real. They, they like to pet dolphins. They're not afraid. And, like, and, and they're all very intelligent. Like, they say the dolphin is, like, the most intelligent animal in the sea. So, yeah. like, that's really cool. But yeah, man. Like, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Like, uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, like, if uh, please tell the audience where they can find you and your wife and all the projects that you guys got going on online. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually in the process of creating a short-term rental remote management course. And so um, that's that's coming out in the next few weeks at some point. I'm still like working on it. But uh, for your audience, I can do a little giveaway here. So if you go to rethinktheratrace.com slash calculator, that actually has a calculator that you can punch in to see what your long-term rental would make as a short-term rental and it breaks down all the income and everything like that and so that's that's a fun little thing to use um we're actually more active on instagram at rethink the rat race we're on all the socials and we do have that website but we haven't posted on it in a while uh again like i said because of covid like we kind of fell off of it but i think i'm gonna pick it back up awesome man yeah yeah well, um thank you so much for giving uh have, giving that to our audience and uh we appreciate again, you again for being on and uh yeah have a good one i'll talk to you again very soon thanks Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. You can also follow us on Instagram at CuriousInvestFI. All this helps support our podcast. Ciao! Ciao!